Please pray with me. Father, steady and clear our minds as there might be many things that are distracting us from the very most important and weighty part of the worship service, and that is the sitting under the preaching of your word. Um, Help us treat this time with reverence it deserves, and may your spirit work in the hearts of your people in a way that no preacher ever can by themselves. Make clear to those who are yours here today the message of the gospel that you want them to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we are continuing, friends, in our sermon series, the book of Acts. We're currently in chapter 16. And the book of Acts uh, uh, continues to show us how some heroes, some of the big leaders in the early church, like Paul, Timothy, and Silas, continue to preach the gospel in different cities in the region that they were in. And this time around, in this part of the book, they come to a city, verse 1 says, called Philippi, which is a big city in this region called Macedonia. And the city, we'll see, like many urban cities today, was a very diverse city, had different kinds of people from different walks of life. So in Paul's journey here, we see him coming across three very different kinds of people. First, we'll see him come across a very religious older lady named Lydia. Second, we'll see him come across a wild and possessed young girl. And third, we'll see him come across a struggling middle-class prison guard. And as different as these three people are, what we'll see is that they all have one thing in common, and that is none of them had saving faith in Jesus Christ. None of them understood the gospel and were all still imprisoned in their sin. Three very different people from three different walks of lives, imprisoned and bound by three very different kinds of chains, and all found freedom through the gospel of Christ. What were their stories, and how can their story give us hope today who may find ourselves enchained by similar things? Okay, let's get into it. It's kind of a long passage, so I do ask you to stick with me as I read it through. This is the Word of God, taken from Acts chapter 16, verse 11 to 40. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the version I have may be slightly different than the version on on the screen. I apologize if that's so. And the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gates to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of uh, Tithetera, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, 
These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when the owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailers to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailers woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrate have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They've beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Thus says the Lord. Okay, there are four things that I want to point out from this passage today about the gospel. The gospel resurrected a lady who was dead in her religiosity, unchained a young girl who was beyond hope, released a middle-class worker from the prison of despair unto a life of union with Christ and His people. Okay? Don't worry about getting them all down. We're going to repeat them as we go along. First point, we're going to just go through the passage here. The gospel resurrected a lady who was dead in her religiosity. If I ask you guys to think about someone who's dead in their sin, Lydia here is probably not the kind of person that you'd picture in your mind, right? Why? Because she checked all the boxes. She does. Look at verse 13. Where did Paul find her? She was in a place of prayer. She was a very religious lady, you see. Check. She also had a very good job. Look at verse 14. She was a seller of purple goods, meaning she was in the business of selling purple cloth, which back then was very lucrative, especially in that area of the world. Check. 
She owned her own house. Look at verse 15, which is very uncommon for women back then. Check. And verse 14 would go as far to say that she had decent theology. Look at it. It says that she was a worshiper of God. Now, this doesn't mean that she believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. This is a common phrase used back then to describe a Greek person that worshiped multiple gods who converted to Judaism and now believes in the one God of the Old Testament. Okay? So, she went from being a polytheist to a monotheist, from being the worshiper of many gods to the worshiper of God. That's what that phrase means. She had decent theology. Check. She checks all the check marks. In our day today, she'd be your church-going guy or girl who have their lives all put together, right? Everything's very tidy. Their lives are very well organized. But yet, look at verse 14. This passage tells us that her heart was not yet open to the gospel, meaning she wasn't saved. Her sins were not yet washed away, and the righteous wrath of God was still full force upon her and her sin. There's something very tricky, friends, about a tidy life. It's not a bad thing, but it can fool you to thinking that just because your life is well put together, that just because you have a good career or a good family or just because your Instagram posts are filled with helping social causes and because you recycle, it can fool you to thinking that your tidiness makes you right with God. And God here is warning us not necessarily. All of your tidiness in within your, itself, all of your morality, all of your religiosity, all of your good deeds, and even your earthly success, none of it, God is warning us here in Lydia's story, none of it soothes the divine wrath that God has upon us for our sins. It's not enough. Our tidiness may hide the wickedness of our hearts to our church friends, to our families, but it does not fool God. It doesn't hide it from God. You see, Paul saw beyond Lydia's tidiness and religiosity, and you know what he did to save her? He didn't offer her more checklists. He didn't offer her more rules to follow. Look at verse 14. Paul spoke the gospel to her. Paul offered her a person, a person, the only person, the Bible says, that truly checked all the boxes, the only person, the Bible says, that was truly without sin, who is then offering you this perfect record of His when He died on a cross. You can pray all you want, Lydia. You can be as righteous as you want. You can live as morally as you want. You can make and give away money as much as you want. None of those things can wash you away from your sins and give you life. But His blood can. And when Lydia heard this, verse 14 says, the Lord opened her heart 
You see, friends, you can be giving God your hands and your feet all day without actually giving Him your heart. What you need is a why. You need a why. Your heart's going to remain closed until you find the why. Lift your eyes to Calvary. Look upon that man who died for you on that cross. There's your why. He's your why. And if anyone here today can relate to Lydia, you've been working and working and working to try to somehow feel that you're okay with God. You'll never get there. Your heart will never be opened. Maybe what you need right now is not to work. Maybe what you need right now is to receive and realize that grace was never meant to be earned in the first place. What you have currently is a checklist-centered Christianity. What you need is a Christ-centered one. Then you'll be resurrected from your dead religion. The gospel has the power to resurrect people from dead religiosity. But not only that, what we see next is that it also has the power to give hope to those who may seem way beyond hope. Let's move on to our second point. The gospel gave hope to a young girl who was beyond reach. Let's continue in our passage. Go to verse 16. We see Paul encountering another person who's probably the complete opposite to Lydia. Right? Let's take a look at her. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. So if Lydia represents someone who has all her checklists checked, this girl represents those who have none of her checklists checked. <laughs> and she had issues, spiritually, psychologically. Many commentaries agree that this girl was most likely what they called back then a Pythiae priestess. It's, it's a Greek myth that claims that there's pyth this Pythonian spirit, this snake spirit, um, that lived in this area that's not too far from Philippi, this area called Delphi. And this Pythonian spirit in Delphi would invade the minds of either young pretty girls or very old ladies, never men for some reason. I don't know why. But this lady was one of them that was invaded by the spirit and now has this ability to tell the future. And a lot of people back then would capitalize on this myth. Verse 16 says that there's a couple of men who used this young girl as a slave and made money from her fortune-telling activities. It was big business back then. And some may argue it's still big business today. People taking your money, claiming that they can tell you the future. It's a whole industry. This girl was a total opposite of Lydia. She didn't believe in the God of the Bible, right? Uh, she was considered a witch in the day. She wasn't particularly successful in her career, right? She wasn't put together. She was kind of wild, spontaneous. But the shocking message of this passage and the way it's written Lydia, then this girl, it's making a shocking claim that Miss Perfect Lydia and this girl were in the same exact boat. Not one was at a better spot with God compared to the other. They were both lost. They were both imprisoned. One, by their legalistic religiosity. The other, by her wild whims. So this girl followed Paul around for many days, verse 18 says, and kept saying this phrase in verse 17. 
These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now, face value, there's nothing wrong with that sentence, right? Paul was the servant of the Most High God, and he was declaring the way of salvation. But because it was abundantly clear that this girl was a Pythia priestess who believed in many Greek gods, it was also clear that what she meant here isn't that Paul's God is the only God, but like the Most High God compared to other Greek gods. So there's like Athena, Artemis, Apollo, Zeus, and then the God that Paul is preaching about here. So it was actually a huge misunderstanding of the Christian faith. And Paul was scared that if she kept saying this, there's going to be misunderstanding. And if she only said it like a few times, I'm sure Paul would have let it go. But look at verse 18. She kept saying it for days. <laughs> and she kept following Paul around, just, just kept saying it. So Paul, not wanting Christianity to be misunderstood, said to her, or to the spirit in her, however you want to interpret that, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her. Now, the text never clarifies here whether or not she actually got saved or if she actually ended up believing in Jesus as the Lord and Savior. But regardless, here's the point. The same Jesus that freed Lydia from the bondage of her dead, checklist-centered religiosity is the same Jesus that freed this girl from the bondage of her own wild whims. Here's the point. The gospel gives hope even for the wildest of souls. In fact, there's just as much hope for Miss Perfect Lydia and this girl. They're both equally in need of the blood of Christ. One's tidiness does not make them closer to God's hand, and one's wildness does not make him too far from God's reach. That's the point of this passage. So Lydia's in this room whoever you may be, don't be fooled by your religiosity. And Pythiae priestesses in this room, don't take that literally, never think you're too far from God's reach. The blood of Christ is being offered right now to the both of you because you're both imprisoned in your own ways and you both need it desperately. There's one more person before we end that's introduced to us here. And if some of you may be able to relate to the first two people better, Lydia and this priestess, I find myself relating to this last one best. The gospel released a middle-class worker from the chains of despair. I'm not in chains of despair, but that's the one I can relate most with. All right. So, after Jesus proclaimed, after the Jesus that Paul proclaimed released this priestess from the bizarre things she was doing, it really upset her owners. Remember the ones making money off of her? Verse 19 says, when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. The marketplace was like this place where semi-legal, semi-street justice courtrooms would happen back then, okay? So, they dragged Paul and his company to this iffy court of law and twisted the narrative in verse 21. He said, Paul's gospel disturbed the Roman culture. No, it didn't. It disturbed their wallets. But they twisted the story, and Paul and his company got beat by rods on their backs, verse 22 says, and by the crowd in verse 23, and then got thrown into the inner part of the prison, verse 24. But look at what they were doing in this inner prison. Look at verse 25. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
Paul and Silas were surrounded by despair, but yet they weren't imprisoned by it. Now contrast that image with the prison guard that we see here in prison. So in verse 26, 27, an earthquake happened and it was so big it broke the prison doors. Quick side note, earthquakes were very common in that part of the world. Macedonia was actually located above the intersection of two very volatile tectonic plates, the Eurasian tectonic plate and the African tectonic plate, okay? Today, the countries in that region are Greece, Bulgaria, Albania, and earthquakes happen there a lot. So God used it. The prison doors were destroyed. And verse 27 says that there was a prison guard standing there, and he was so shook by this event to the point where he considered taking his own life. Why? Because the punishment for letting prisoners escape back then, for whatever reason, would potentially be death, capital punishment. Do you see the contrast this text is trying to tell us? Paul and Silas were facing a potential death sentence, yet they were not imprisoned by despair. They joyfully worshipped. Yet this jailer, this prison guard, who's in the same situation, also facing potential death sentence, he was imprisoned by despair, so much so he wanted to take his own life. And verse 33-34 tells us he had a family. He was in such deep despair that he was willing to leave the people he loved most behind. Two people, Paul and the jailer, in the same situation, one imprisoned by fear and despair, the other praising and worshiping God. Why? Why? What did Paul have that the jailer didn't? He had Jesus. Paul knew about someone who, like him, was also once dragged into a semi-legal court of law. Paul knew of someone who, like him, was also unfairly judged by a street mob and struck by rods on his back and thrown into captivity. Was not Jesus' path to the cross almost step by step a copy of what Paul went through here? It's because Paul had Jesus all of his sufferings only reminded him of the one who went through worse so that he may have eternal life. And now, impending death no longer imprisoned Paul because Paul knew that because of what Jesus did, all that death can now do is usher him to the one who died so that he might have eternal life. That's all it can do. So though he was surrounded by misery, he wasn't imprisoned by it. It's just a shadow now, nothing more. But the jailer didn't have this Jesus, you see, which is why Paul stayed in prison. <laughs> he could have escaped, but he stayed. He stayed to share Christ to this prison guard. And look at what happened in verse 34. The jailer heard the gospel, accepted it, and he rejoiced. That's what it said. Now, this is very, very important. Let me ask you, at this point, was the jailer's impending death penalty gone yet? No. It was still there. Becoming a Christian doesn't erase all your problems. All of his problems were still there, but yet he was no longer imprisoned by them. The gospel of Christ freed Lydia from the prison of her self-righteousness freed the priestess from the prison of her own wild whims, 
and freed this struggling middle-class family man from the despair of hopelessness. Now, I've got to move on here because we're running out of time, but there's a big remaining question still unanswered. Freed unto what? See, true freedom isn't just about being freed from the wrong place. It's also about being freed unto the right place. That second half is really important, or else it's not really freedom yet. If I release a tiger from captivity, but then I release him to the middle of the city, that's, that's not freedom yet for the tiger. That's just putting him in another bad spot. True freedom would be achieved if I release this tiger into its natural habitat, the wild, right? Then it's truly free, you see. Where were these three people freed unto? As newborn Christians, they were transferred from the chains of darkness unto what? That's important. What's our natural habitat, Christian? Where is home for us? Well, let's go to our last point. All these people were freed from their chains unto a life of union with Christ and His people. There's a huge theme in this passage that I haven't touched on yet, and it's the theme of fellowship amongst very unlikely people. Let's go back to the story again. When Lydia was freed from her dead religiosity, what happened next? Look at verse 15. She and her household were baptized and urged Paul, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And Paul stayed there. Same with the jailer. After he received Christ in verse 30, 34, what happened? Him and his household were baptized, and he brought them up to his house and set food before them. You see the pattern here of what's happening? A rich Gentile lady and a Roman guard invited three Jewish people who were once strangers and prisoners to them to come to their house and eat with their family, and that communicates unity, commitment with one another. This is also, by the way, what we see at the last chunk of the passage, the very end there. We see at the end of the story, stick with me here, Paul actually had a trump card that he didn't use till the end. You see that? After the earthquake, verse 36 happened, uh, the officials came, released the prisoners, and Paul said, no, I'm not leaving. They've beaten us publicly uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. What's all this about? See, back then, to publicly cane Roman citizens with rods were illegal. So the officials panicked when they heard this. Oh my gosh, they're actually Roman citizens? And they got scared. They apologized to Paul. Now the question is, why didn't Paul use his trump card earlier? Right? He could have done it. He was being beaten. Why didn't he just say, stop, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this to me. He didn't. You know why? Because he was committed to his people. If he said that, he would have been freed. But guess what will happen to all of his other Christian companions who are also getting beaten, who weren't Roman citizens? They would have still gotten beat, flogged, imprisoned. This theme of unity is thick throughout the passage. Paul would rather stick with his non-Roman Christian brothers and sisters, bloody and beaten, imprisoned under the threat of capital punishment rather than leave them and run free. Why? Because they are the ones that His Savior has set Him free unto. Fellowship with them, unity with them, that's a huge part of Paul's freedom. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 9? I've become all things to all men. I've become a Jew to the Jew, a Gentile to Gentile, rich to the rich, poor to the poor. Why? For the sake of the gospel, that I may save some, and so that I may share with them in its blessings. 
sharing, rejoicing, worshiping, praising, and enjoying in the benefits of the gospel with other redeemed sinners is what we have been freed for. The church, Christian, is your natural habitat. Now, because of sin in the church and in our own lives, this place doesn't always feel like our natural habitat, does it? We sometimes feel like strangers here, but it's meant to be. It's meant to be home, and the Christian is called to do whatever they can to make it so. Look at where Paul went back to, the last verse. After he was released, where did he go back to? Lydia's house. Verse 40, you see. Look, a prisoner's ransom might have been paid for, and when that's paid for, he's legally free, right? Just like you're legally free, Christian, the second you accept what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. Washed away, you're innocent. But I bet you that prisoner would not have yet truly felt free just walking out of the prison gates or getting into the car or driving down the highway. He would have not yet fully felt free. You know when he would feel fully free? It's when he opened the doors to his house and see his family gathered there together to celebrate and embrace him for his return, that he's finally home. That's what the church is supposed to do when someone comes to Christ. Paul knew where his natural habitat was. Paul knew where home is, and that was amongst God's people. So he stayed. He stayed. Even if the world beats and imprisoned him for it, he stayed with his home. When he was released, he went back to his home. Why? Because they were his freedom. You can't love me without loving my kids. You can't love Jesus without loving his people. These are the people he was beaten, flogged, and imprisoned for. Jesus died for these people, like Paul. But unlike Paul, Jesus was never set free. An earthquake didn't save him from prison. Instead, you know what Jesus did? He took on the greatest quake that you and I could have ever imagined, the full force of God's wrath that was meant for us. He stayed. He stayed. Why? So that you and I can be free from the chains of our sin, whether that's moralism or your wild whims or despair from your everyday job. We can have a hope that is beyond this world, have life eternal, that you and I can come together and be home. And one day, we'll experience the true expression of this home, and until that day comes, no earthly church will be able to provide for you the fullness of that longing. It's impossible. But friends, we can at least try our best to live as family, even with the limitations we have, for the sake of our home, the church, and for the sake of our King, who gave up His life so that we may have a place to belong. Amongst fellow sinners, undeserving, yet washed clean by His blood and by His blood alone. Let's pray.
Father, we too live in an urban city, and we too have a variety of people with us from different walks of life, perhaps chained and imprisoned by different things. May I be so bold to ask you, Father, to have the Spirit bring this gospel truth that has been spoken by your word and imperfectly by my mouth deep into the hearts of your people in this room that they may be released from whatever chains may be entangling them and that the blood of Christ and the gospel would give them an eternal hope that this world does not know of because it came down from heaven and climbed unto a cross for their sins. We praise you for being imprisoned for our freedom, for dying in order that we may live eternal. What an undeserving mercy, what a great and gracious God we have. We pray now, Father, in Jesus' name and in his name alone. Amen.